Okay, well, I hope you're all recovering from the St. Patrick's Day weekend. This was a wild weekend if you lived here in the New York area where there is a large Irish community, uh, several enclaves. There's one in Queens, but the real big ones outside of the city of New York itself and in my hometown here in Lower Westchester and up in Rockland County on the other side of the Tappan Zee Bridge. Yes, I still call it the Tappan Zee Bridge. That's what it always was and that's what it always should be. The sooner we get the name of that benighted former governor of ours off the bridge, the better it will be. But be that as it may, it was a big weekend because there was the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York City, which is the parade of all parades when it comes to St. Patrick's Day parades. And uh, that was on Friday, on the day itself, St. Patty's Day, March 17th. The following day in uh, Yonkers, New York, there was a parade on the Emerald Mile, which is a main drag on McLean Avenue in Yonkers. And they were estimating 60,000 people show up. I think they had well over 100. It really was a phenomenal parade. And then the other one, which prior to the advent of the Yonkers Parade, um, there was always a parade in the city of Yonkers, but like many cities, they ran it on the typical parade route, just like all parades in New York City go up Fifth Avenue. All parades in Yonkers used to go up Broadway. Broadway was um, a thriving um, main drag when the city was younger, but uh, as that neighborhood has fallen into um, sort of an de economic depression and the uh, demographic makeup has changed up, it's now a predominantly Arab community, uh, <clears throat> there's no Irish there to see the parade. So they prevailed upon the city a couple of years ago to make McLean Avenue the official parade route. And since they've been doing that, it's really ballooned because initially they were doing it privately. Now it's the city's parade, and it's now the second largest parade uh, after the, the Manhattan Parade, displacing the Pearl River Parade, which was the second largest parade, but still a robust parade. I was there yesterday. So I hope you all recovered from that. But it was great celebrating with some old friends, and uh, hope you had a good weekend as well. In any event, on to more important things. But before we do that, our traditional announcement, please subscribe to the show if you have not already done so. You can do so in one of three easy ways. You can either download the Podbean app from the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store, search out The Jamie Dury Show and subscribe that way. Or you can simply use your native podcast aggregator apps in either of those two devices, depending which one you use. And you can simply search out The Jamie Dury Show and follow along that way. Either way you choose to follow the show, you will be able to make comments, leave reviews, pose questions. Um, and we desperately need more comments and more reviews, hopefully five-star reviews. We do our best to give you a good show. So please help us out and give us a five-star review. The higher you review us and the more you review us, the faster the show will grow and the more it will be spread out And when people search for conservative uh, content. And we desperately need that because we know our mainstream media is failing us miserably. Our political system is failing us miserably and our governments are failing us miserably. Now, I was going to do a show based on some of the failures of these banks. I referenced it on Friday just slightly. 
uh, and I was going to do that today. Uh, I'm going to put that off for later in the week because it seems other banks now are in trouble. So the other shoe has not dropped yet. I'd like to get a more complete picture before I start pontificating on it. But another story has come to the fore over the weekend, which has sucked all the oxygen out of the room, as is usually the case whenever the name of Donald J. Trump is involved. We now know the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, uh, through illegal leaks, is planning on indicting and arresting Donald Trump within the next day. Uh, the day that was floated by Mr. Trump himself on his Truth Social Network was tomorrow, Tuesday, the 21st of March. Whether that actually occurs, we do not know. Uh, whether it will occur tomorrow or whether it will occur at all. But it seems likely because the NYPD is having hushed meetings, I'm told, at the upper level, trying to decide how they're going to deal with protests if people come out and protest. So there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of facets to this. So sit down, grab a cup of coffee, whatever your favorite libation is, and listen, because I'm going to try and unpack all of it for you. First, let's get to the meat and potatoes of what this arrest is supposed to be about. This revolves around payments, hush payments, supposedly, that they are alleging Donald Trump made through his lawyer, Michael Cohn, to Stormy Daniels. Now, there's a lot about this that people don't know, that has been misunderstood, and so we're going to go through it all. First of all, much of this was already investigated by the Justice Department when this issue first came to the fore. What they're trying to do is claim that these payments were illegal or that they were illegally done. Now, I'm going to give you an overview of this as written by George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley. I'll also read the take of Professor Emeritus from Harvard University, Alan Dershowitz, who is an expert on constitutional law. And Dershowitz is a man who I have great respect for. Uh, initially, I used to not like Alan Dershowitz. I thought he was a diehard liberal. But then as incidents came to the fore and I saw positions that Mr. Dershowitz took, where I saw he would come to the defense of some conservatives when they, he felt they were being wrongfully prosecuted, like Donald Trump, I began to realize that it, Mr. Dershowitz was not following a leftist agenda. He was following his conscience to be true to what he thinks the law stands for. And that's all you can ask of a professor of law, to be unbiased and call it like he sees it, like an umpire. So I have very good respect for not only Alan Dershowitz's moral compass, but also his intellectual magnitude or the magnitude of his intellectual uh, capabilities. So we're going to be reading all of that, but let's start with Jonathan Turley. Um, now, this is all, again, revolving around the $130,000 hush payments to Stormy Daniels back in 2016. And the indictment is going to circle around it uh, pretty much being misclassified as legal payments when it was not legal payments, because apparently the way it worked is Mr. Cohen, you know him, the guy that was discredited and convicted and went to jail, Mr. Cohen made the payments 
and then was repaid by the Trump Organization. And when the Trump Organization made these payments, they carried them on their books as legal expenses. It isn't like they just took it out of a mattress and gave it to them. They did document that they paid him the money. So the whole thing is, uh, turns on a, on a question of semantics. Trump has always denied he had any affair, but that doesn't seem to interest anyone here. Anyway, Jonathan Turley, who if you remember Jonathan Turley, he was the man who was brought in as an expert witness in one of Trump's impeachments, I believe the first one. And the Democrats thought he was going to be a good witness for them. And turns out uh, he was a very bad witness for them. He thought the uh, impeachment was ill-founded and he sort of undercut the legal basis for the impeachment. But Jonathan Turley categorizes this case against Trump as legally, quote, pathetic. And it is a struggling to twist the state laws to effectively prosecute a federal case long ago rejected by the Justice Department. And that's true because uh, in 2018, he says, he says, I wrote how difficult such a federal case would be under existing election laws. Now, six years later, the same theory may be shoehorned into a state claim. Okay. Um, and what they were talking about is they were trying to say that he, it was campaign money that was used to pay back the money that Cohen gave to Stormy Daniels, and therefore it was a misuse of campaign funds. Uh, the Justice Department rejected this, said it doesn't hold water, it's not sufficient to rise to the level of a crime. It would be very, very great difficulties in proving it because there's really nothing to prove. So they dropped it. Now, there is a misdemeanor, which Turley also explains, on the books in New York. Okay? He goes on to say, while we still do not know the specific state charges in the anticipated indictment, the most discussed would fall under Section 175 for falsifying business records based on the claim that Trump used legal expenses to conceal the alleged hush payments that were supposedly used to violate federal election laws. Well, if you're trying to say that Trump used uh, legal expenses to conceal hush payments that violated federal election laws, I think you'd have to have proof that federal election laws were violated. And in that body of law, the De Department of Justice, which is the federal agency uh, responsible for prosecuting and investigating crimes, has already said no crime has taken place. So that's a problem. Harold Turley goes on to say, while some legal experts have insisted such concealment is clearly a criminal matter that must be charged, these same experts were conspicuously silent when Hillary Clinton faced a not dissimilar campaign finance allegation. Surprise, surprise. But it gets a little more complicated. Turley points out that Section 175 is normally a misdemeanor. And the only way to convert it to a Class E felony requires a showing that there was that the intent to defraud includes an intent to commit another crime or to aid or conceal the commission thereof. And that other crime, again, would appear to be the federal elections violations, which the Justice Department, as I just said, has already previously declined to charge. So it seems to me an incredibly heavy lift to try and elevate this stuff, which is could 
could be explained away to most people. And if it was anyone but Donald Trump, it would be explained away as simply a bookkeeping error, uh, a stroke of the pen. And since he doesn't make those uh, entries in ledgers, I don't know how you could get him for it, but it would be forgiven. But here they're looking to find something uh, out of nothing. So if you cannot succeed in bringing this to the level of a felony, what do you have left? You have a misdemeanor left. Okay. Now, Judge Napolitano was speaking about this uh, on uh, WABC this morning, I believe. Or was it, no, it wasn't WABC. It was with Joe Piscopo, my mistake. It was with Joe Piscopo on 970 AM. And he pointed out this misdemeanor uh, charge that um, requires you don't have to go to jail and so forth and so on, usually punishable by less than one year at a maximum. Anything that's punishable by more than one year is a felony. But there's one problem with this misdemeanor charge that Judge Napolitano did not mention Excuse me, I have a little cough. I'm just sipping some hot tea. Um, and that's because Judge Napolitano is a former judge, I believe, in the federal court, is very, very knowledgeable on federal law, but may not know all the little nuances about New York state law. That misdemeanor under New York state law has a statute of limitations of two years. So if a prosecution is not brought within a two-year period of time, I can't bring it at all. And even if you wanted to take some fanciful argument that since sitting presidents cannot be charged with a crime and cannot be indicted, they can only be impeached and removed from office, both of which failed twice against Donald Trump. Uh, if you want to make the argument that they told the statute, meaning they would not let the statute run until he left office, it's still a ship that has already sailed because Donald Trump officially left office at 12 noon on January 20th of 2021. And today is March 20th, 2023. So we already have him out of office for two years and two months. So any way you slice it, this misdemeanor charge against Donald Trump is off the table. That is immutable and beyond dispute. So now we see why the imperative here to try and pump this non-existent misdemeanor crime into an even more ridiculous, non-existent felony because they have no other way to go. So that's what we have there. Now, there were prosecutors in the Manhattan DA's office who were working under Alvin Bragg's predecessor, Cyrus Vance Jr. They reportedly rejected the viability, I'm reading from the article, of using a New York law to effectively charge a federal offense. This is what Turley pointed out. He also previously, Bragg did, expressed doubts about the Daniels case and shut it down when he took office several years ago, he said, adding that two lead prosecutors resigned at the time. I don't know if this is accurate here about the two lead prosecutors resigning because my understanding was there were two prosecutors that resigned, but they didn't resign because of an investigation of the Daniels case. They were people who were from the private sector who were sworn in supposedly because of their expertise in financial crimes, and they allegedly were investigating loans that Trump received, trying to make the allegation that he inflated the value of his business holdings so that he could obtain more favorable rates. This also is much ado about nothing because all of these loans were paid back by Donald Trump, but one of the prosecutors insisted it doesn't matter 
because it's still a crime. The mere misrepresenting of material wealth to obtain favorable interest rates is a crime. Now, one of the men who resigned in that case was a man by the name of Mark Pomerantz. Now, Mark Pomerantz was a former uh, federal prosecutor. He was a former private sector attorney that went back to the federal prosecuting office because he was trying to become a judge and thought this case that he came back for might make him a judge, never panned out. And then a number of years later, I happened to see this same Mark Pomerantz acting as personal counsel to Sam Waxall, the man who was charged in the Inclone scandal, and he sold him on a seven-year plea deal. And now, all of a sudden, he was called out of his private practice to uh, work on this investigation of Trump and now resigns in disgrace. So Mark Pomerantz is what you would no call in the, in the business, in the, the, uh, the lexicon of legal law, as a legal whore. He has no adherence to the law. He has no moral compass. Uh, Mark Pomerantz simply goes and does what's ever convenient for Mark Pomerantz to do, what benefits Mark Pomerantz. So be benefiting Mark Pomerantz meaning, means endearing himself to uber-liberals so that perhaps he could achieve his lifelong dream of becoming a federal judge. Uh, I hope he never does, and I will be the first one to go to Washington to testify at any hearing explaining why I feel he's so unfit to sit on any bench other than a park bench and feed the pigeons. Now, people are all speculating what's going to happen when Trump or if Trump is indicted. Are they going to make him surrender? Are they going to take a picture? First of all, there are more than ample pictures of Donald Trump. And the notion that they need his fingerprints, I find almost laughable. Any former federal official like the president of the United States has their fingerprints on file. God forbid something happened. Air Force One is in an accident. They need to identify remains or he was ever kidnapped or so forth. There's a host of reasons you could go through your own mind why it would be very prudent to have the fingerprints of a former president on file. So there's absolutely no reason for them to have to bring him down there for processing. This could all be done uh, over the internet, really, but they're looking to make a show of all this. So that's Jonathan Turley's take. But he's not the only one that's talking about it. Alan Dershowitz, I mentioned before, uh, weighed in on this, uh, and he had several remarks. According to him, his quote, is Manhattan DA is using made-up laws in the Trump case. That's what he calls it. And he also thinks that if it were to go to a trial, that Trump would not receive a fair trial in Manhattan. I would have to agree. Personally, I would think that this case would never go to trial because it would, um, and that's going to be the observation of another legal expert I'm going to read about in a minute, because he's probably going to be able to get this thing dismissed on motions as long as he gets a jurist with the courage of his convictions or her convictions to really look at the law and say, look, I'm sorry, maybe you don't like Donald Trump, maybe I don't like him, but we can't twist the law just to make it convenient to prosecute Trump when he hasn't violated anything. Now, let's get this here. Here's a quote. I don't want to go over the facts again. I just want to pull this quote from Dershowitz because the facts are the same. Uh, they're all commenting on the facts, but the facts haven't changed. But Dershowitz said, quote, nobody should ever be arrested based on made-up laws or combining a federal and state statute. I taught criminal law for 50 years at Harvard, 
And the one rule was, no creativity is permitted by prosecutors. The law has to be clear. And I would think that Trump would probably hire Dershowitz, as he used Dershowitz in his impeachment cases, and when a man with his legal stature, his standing, as a 50-year uh, professor at one of the most prestigious law schools in the entire world, let alone just the United States, but entire world, uh, he puts his name to that brief. A lot of judges stand up and take notice. They're not going to go and fence with his legal brain power. He questioned Alvin Bragg's apparent attempt to elevate a falsifying records case to a felony from a misdemeanor by tying it to an alleged violation of federal campaign finance law. Quote, in order to turn the state statute into a felony, you have to borrow a federal statute. He said this combining of laws seems to raise real, serious legal questions. In Bragg's case, what they're trying to do is add one and one and come up with 11. No rational person would look at these two statutes and say that Trump violated them. Now, I said this before when I was reading what Jonathan Turley had to say, but the real reason I have to come back to why they're trying to elevate this thing to a felony is they have no choice. The statute of limitations on the misdemeanor, which would be the only viable one, and even that is weak beyond measure, it, the ship has sailed. The statute of limitations expired. They cannot prosecute him for a misdemeanor. Thomas Jefferson quoted uh, Dershowitz had a saying to put nicely, for a criminal statute to be constitutional, the average person has to be able to understand it if he reads it while running. That's a pretty good way of looking at it. So this is not a righteous prosecution, in his opinion. It's not a just prosecution, and I think every libertarian, whether you're conservative or liberal, should be opposed to it. And I can't imagine that an appellate court would ever hold this up. But Bragg doesn't care about this. Now, we're going to get to motivations in a second, but I want to get to all these other things first. Now, there's another chap that weighed in on this, let me get to his. This speaks to more to the federal issue. A former Department of Justice official and current U.S. Berkeley professor of law, John Yu, weighed in on this. Now, John Yu um, has a very, very good resume. He was a Bush-era deputy assistant attorney general in the Office of Legal Counsel of the Department of Justice, so he knows about statutes, he knows about precedents, he knows the appellate process. He noted that the timing of the investigation and the reports of his possible arrest were very suspicious, coming just months after his bid. Here's his take on it. I have strong doubts whether this will ever get to a jury, which is pretty much what I said about being dismissed on motion. I have strong doubts whether this will lead to the conviction of President Trump. He could easily get off all these charges and be declared innocent. Some critics and Trump have criticized Bragg for carrying out what has been described as soft on crime policies in New York. Yes, we know this. And it makes it even more ridiculous for someone who's got his city and his borough burning down, people shooting, people using drugs, all manner of misconduct going unpunished, people being released the same day they're arrested by the police, no bail, in some cases charges of murder. And here he is trying to take this non-existent crime and massage it, twist it, maneuver it, and try and make it look like something it isn't. It's not going to work. Elon Musk 
weighed in on this. He wrote that Soros, because George Soros is the man who backed Alvin Bragg when he ran, figured out a clever arbitrage opportunity, and that many small political contests, such as DAs and judges, have much higher impact per dollar spent than the big races, so it is far easier to sway the outcome. Another quote, when you have a prosecutor who is not prosecuting serious crimes in New York City and is twisting and stretching the law to investigate Trump for something that occurred six or seven years ago, it undermines faith in the justice system on the part of everyday Americans, said Professor Yu. Trump isn't being investigated for making a payment to Stormy Daniels, but for allegedly misclassifying it during the 2016 campaign. That was all investigated by the Justice Department. They said no hits, no runs, no error, no foul. Beyond this, you made a very important, powerful statement. He said that historically in the United States, we've had an important norm for not targeting current and former presidents because they have to make some of the most toughest, most difficult decisions in this country. Prosecuting a former president who has broad support, like Donald Trump does, will also set a dangerous precedent. But to bring a case like this, he said it's not important enough to break the norm of not pursuing a former president, noting that no current or former president has ever been arrested since this country's founding almost 250 years ago. Bragg's office has made no comment. So now, that's the legal posture that we're in. I've given you what the case is about, essentially, and I've given to you what various legal experts have said about it. Politicians, though, have also weighed in on it. Ron DeSantis weighed in on it. The first one to weigh in on it was this uh, businessman, Vivek Ramaswamy. He has got no chance of winning the nomination, but he was the first one to weigh in on this uh, prosecution of Trump. It is, an un is un-American for the ruling party to use police power to arrest its political rivals, calling it a dark moment in U.S. history. If a Republican prosecutor in 2004 had used a campaign finance technicality to arrest then-candidate John Kerry while Bush and Cheney were in power, liberals would have cried foul, and rightly so. This will mark a dark moment in American history and will undermine political trust in our election system itself. And he called on other Republican candidates like Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis to weigh in. DeSantis did weigh in. He did weigh in on this. And he said he hasn't received any information about an indictment, but he says we're not involved in this. Uh, but he expressed irritation at being distracted from running the nation's third largest state by what he calls as little more than a publicity stunt by a Soros-funded prosecutor. We're not involved in this. We won't be involved in this. He said, I have no interest in getting involved in some kind of manufactured circus by a Soros-funded DA. He's trying to do a political spectacle. He's trying to virtue signal for his base. I've got real issues I've got to deal with here in Florida. So you can see what he thinks about this whole thing. But I'm going to now speak to you about what people are not speaking about as much. <clears throat> now that we know the legal posture of the case, we know what's at hand, we know how they're trying to arrive at this, the big unanswered question is, why? Why is it being done? 
Well, there are three general prevailing theories. Here's the first one. I made it first because I consider it the most likely. Alvin Bragg is appealing to his constituency, Manhattan Democrats. Why is he doing this? Because he's up for re-election in November, and he hasn't done jack squat to try and make the quality of life better for New Yorkers in any way, shape, or form by prosecuting criminals. He's done quite the opposite. He's made the borough of Manhattan almost a free port. Another possibility is that they're all simply trying to destroy Trump so he either can't run or can't win if he does run. And they'll use any office that's willing to do it, any manner of prosecution or stunt to achieve this. That's another possibility. And then there's a third possibility. <clears throat> there's no question that bringing a weak case like this is going to whip people up into a frenzy in the Trump camp, people who support Trump. It's going to inject him and infuse him with even greater vigor in life, especially if he wins. So why would they do this? Well, there's some people who theorize that they're doing this deliberately to bolster Trump, to make him a martyr, because they want him to run, because somehow they perceive him to be easier to beat than either DeSantis or anybody else that the Republican Party can field. So the question becomes, which of these three prevailing theories is the most plausible? Well, let's take a look at that. I have a school of thought whenever I analyze something. And it usually goes something like this. Absent clear and convincing evidence to pick an option that is not the most likely. The most likely, the most logical, is usually the one that wins out. So going in reverse order, I don't believe that Alan Bragg is smart enough to think that far ahead that they're looking to bolster Trump uh, because they want him to run because they think he's going to be easier to beat. I also don't believe that even people with more brain power than Alvin Bragg in the Democratic Party are using him as a willing stooge or accomplice in order to achieve this goal. I really don't. Because everyone in the Democratic Party knows for sure that Donald Trump, not having to be saddled with the baggage of having to run again, because he's already served one term as president and under our current constitution, he cannot run for another term if he were to be reelected in 2024. And it's not without precedent that this could happen. Grover Cleveland did it in the 1800s. He won, was ousted, came back and won again. So it's not without precedent. Trump could do it. But they do know that, especially in light of Peter Navarro's new book and the revelations and the interview he gave last week with the Epic Times about how Trump learned his lesson in his first term not to trust the rhinos, not to bring them in the tent. They undermined him. He's not going to bring any of these people in the tent. He's going to clean house in both the Republican Party and in the Democratic Party. He's going to use all manner of the force of the federal government to root out the corruption and drain that swamp, even if it means taking people away in handcuffs. I believe he's going to reinvestigate the conduct of that cowardly police lieutenant who shot Ashley Babbitt to death. You all know my feelings on that. 
There's only so many crimes that justify the use of deadly physical force. That woman was not committing any one of them. And furthermore, this man recklessly shot into a field of police officers who were behind her because within seconds of her being shot, there were no fewer than five or six police officers surrounding her. So they were in the downrange position. So this was complete travesty. And we now know with the release of the footage by Tucker Carlson that uh, we were being lied to for a long time. Most of us already knew that regarding the true nature of the January 6th event. It was not an insurrection. It was not a revolution by any means necessary. It was people that got a little pissed off, a little out of hand maybe, so they sat in Nancy Pelosi's chair. Big deal. Everybody was already out of the chamber. This was much ado about nothing. So Trump is going to investigate all of this, and Trump is going to visit this type of revenge. That being the case, why would you even risk the possibility of him coming back and putting him in a position where he could do this? So I scratch theory number three, that they're doing this because they want him to run as the least likely of the three theories. That leaves us with the other two. Bragg simply acting in his own self-interest to appeal to Manhattan Democrats because he's up for re-election, or simply part of the campaign to destroy Trump so he can either can't run or win. And those two possibilities are not mutually exclusive. He could do both, he could achieve, rather, both of those objectives, potentially, by going through with this prosecution. I don't think he will, but in his mind, if the public reacts disfavorably to Trump in light of a conviction, I don't even see that happening. Uh, I see just Democrats being gleeful if he would be convicted, and I see Republicans digging their heels in if he's convicted, and people on the fence, I think it just goes against their sense of fundamental fairness. So I see this backfiring, but these two things are not uh, mutually exclusive, and uh, I believe that that's what's really going on here. So look for Trump to be indicted and or arrested. I really want to see how they go about the arrest, because as I said earlier in the program, he was a former sitting president. His fingerprints are on file. His photographs are on file. They don't need to do a mugshot of him. They don't need to take a set of his fingerprints. He can stipulate that he is Donald Trump. He can stipulate that the fingerprints they provided, provided by the U.S. government, Secret Service, are the prints. No one's going to question that. The only reason to walk this man through a booking process is just for show and in a despicable attempt to try and humiliate a former president of the United States, a man who I might add has been investigated so many times, investigated in the first impeachment, investigated in the second impeachment, investigated in this Trump-Russia uh, Trump, uh, collusion hoax that they perpetrated, which we now know was paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign. And mind you, all these investigations were run by people who were biased and absolutely despised Trump. And no one could get the goods on him because the man hadn't done anything. So if you ask me, you survive all those investigations. Trump's got to be one of the cleanest men in Washington, certainly a lot cleaner than that that decrepit old drunk Nancy Pelosi or that turtle, that four-eyed freak Mitch McConnell. And all these people, 
are going to get their comeuppance if Trump gets reelected. So that's what's going on here from both a legal perspective and a political analysis of the forces that are manipulating these things and driving these things. And I felt I really had to address this before I address the banking crisis, because I think it's the hottest story. It's the most pivotal story. And it has the greater far-reaching implications. As I said before, we are in a culture war in this country. It's no longer about Republicans and Democrats. It's not a two-party system. It's basically a one-party system, consisting of those who are in the in-crowd, those who are part of the the uh, Washington circuit, and those who are outside. Trump is an outsider. They don't want him in. And their attempts to get rid of him are twofold. They want to get rid of him, and they want to send a message to anyone else with billions of dollars who might decide that he has a debt of gratitude he owes the country and wants to run to straighten it out. Somebody like Elon Musk, who was the darling of the media until he decided to be a little more conservative. But I believe Elon Musk is from South Africa and was born there, so he's not a naturalized citizen, so he can't run. But there are other Americans of great wealth who could take a similar uh, position as Donald Trump did. Uh, so they're sending a message, definitely sending a message. And I think the Trump supporters are going to send a message right back when they show their reaction to this chicanery. And I agree with Professor Yu from Berkeley. I don't think this thing will ever see a jury because I don't think it can survive motions. I think this is a fool's errand and may wind up undoing uh, Alvin Bragg. I want to thank you for joining us. Once again, please give us a five-star review. Follow us. Tell your friends about us so the show can grow and we can continue to serve you better and better with each broadcast. For The Jamie Dury Show, I'm Jamie Dury. Thank you.